Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28. You'll find this on your large print sheets, but also page 891 in your pew Bible, continuing on to page 893. So Proverbs chapter 28, of course the book of Proverbs just after the book of Psalms, which as you know is right in the middle of the Bible. The book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 28, starting on page 891 and continuing on to page 893. Proverbs, as you know, the book of Proverbs, a lot of pithy sayings, as we would say, very uh, short and to the point. And so I'm going to read this deliberately, very a very deliberate pace, so we can think about what each verse is saying. Word of God from Proverbs chapter 28. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. One who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way he himself will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory, but when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler. ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. A man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. Let no one help him. Whoever walks blamelessly will be saved. But he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. 
to show partiality is not good. Because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches. Does not consider that poverty will come upon him. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, it is no transgression. The same is companion to a destroyer. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. He who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. He who gives to the poor will not lack. But he who hides his eyes will have many curses. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves. When they perish, the righteous increase. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we want to look particularly at verse 14 in Proverbs 28 with this theme, Solomon contrasts fear of God and hardness of heart. Solomon contrasts fear of God and hardness of heart. Before we get there, I just want to point out a number of verses that may be of particular interest in chapter 28 of Proverbs. Notice verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues. In other words, they become scared of their own shadow, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked. Oh my We certainly see that in our society. But such as keep the law contend with them. In other words, they engage in that spiritual battle against evil people. Verse 5, evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand all. Again, this is very clear in terms of our society today. The, the the, The kindnesses of the cruel... Of, of, the, of the wicked are cruel, according to Proverbs. And that is exactly what we see today. Evil politicians today talk about justice and equity. They have no clue. No clue at all. They do not understand, despite what they say. But those who seek the Lord understand all. We see it clearly, you see. Verse 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. It is loathsome in the, in the ears of God, if you will. And so God does not always hear every prayer, does he? Verse 21, to show partiality is not good. Because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. You can bribe somebody with virtually anything. Verse 23, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. We see this in other places as well. Um, In uh, chapter 27, verse 17, for example, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so to rebuke a man, it's better, not, not easy, it's better to do that and simply flatter with the tongue, you see. Verse 27, he who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes, in other words, doesn't see, hides his eyes from, what he, from what's going on around him will have many curses. And finally, verse 28, when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Ain't it the truth? But when they perish, that is to say, when the wicked perish, the righteous increase. Well, as we look, as we come back now to verse 14 here, 
we see the context for verse 14, which is verse 13. Notice what it says. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And so this is, going, this is painting a context, if you will, as we come into verse 14. That first part, first part of verse 13, as you probably recognize, is very similar to Psalm 32, one of the great psalms of repentance. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, how true it is when we hold in our sin, if you will, when we don't confess it then we're going to have problems in our conscience, in our lives. And here it says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. The second part of that verse is very much similar to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here, the writer of the Proverbs says, but whoever confesses and forsakes them, repudiates them, leaves them, will have mercy. Now this is strong. This is strong verse. But verse 14 is even more intense. So it's going, it's going to be dealing with a similar theme now, is it not? But it's, it's even more intense. It, in, in a sense, it gets even more to the root of the issue, which is the fear of God, the proper fear of God, in contrast to the hardening of a person's heart. So, it's whoever covers his sins will not prosper. Well, we're going to have it even more strongly in verse 14. So, verse 14 consists of two parts. Happy is the man who's always reverent or who always fears. We'll see what that means. But he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the first thing, then, that we deal with is the fear of God, the fear of God. And this, of course, is a theme throughout the book of Proverbs. We read in Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what do we mean by fear? So children, we want to think about this very carefully. What do we mean by fear? Well, in reference to God, the fear that is in, in, entailed here has to do with reverence or awe of being, of, of understanding something of who God is. So we, you know, we tend to use the phrase today, oh, that was awesome, right? We, we try to overuse that phrase, I dare say. But there are awesome things in this life. You go to Niagara Falls, or even perhaps Amakalola Falls. You say, wow, that's awesome, right? That's awe-inspiring, or you see a beautiful sunset, or whatever. Well, even more so than these kinds of things in creation, we know that God is the one who brings awe into us, who creates awe within us. But not just awe, but also the reverence that we are to have for him. It's a strong form of the verb here uh, in terms of, of being reverent. It's a reference, uh, to, it has the, the connotation of fear even in the sense of dread or trembling. Isn't that interesting? And of course, in, in the ultimate sense, that fear has been overcome through the gospel, but even at that, even at that, there is still this understanding that God is one who is above us he is, he is absolutely holy, and he sees everything about us. We are naked before him. You remember, children, the, uh, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? <clears throat> remember when, as, when uh, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the children there ask Mr. Beaver in that tale, is Aslan safe, the lion? Is the lion safe, a picture of Christ? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Safe? Of course he ain't safe. But he's good. He's a lion. 
He's a lion. And he's not tamed, therefore. We want to tame God. We want a God who is tamed to our expectations. But there is this sense, you see, of reverence, but also fear, if you will. It is, and, and here in terms of reference, referring to the fear of God, and here I'm following Matthew Henry's suggestions, there is this holy awe and reverence. Look with me at Isaiah 6, a very familiar passage, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. <clears throat> Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. Here the prophet says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So, like the train, like in a, like uh, when a, uh, a bride comes down the aisle, you know, the train that follows. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings with two. He covered his face with two. He covered his feet with two. He flew and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So that even these powerful angels, these seraphim, have to cover their eyes and cover their feet in the presence of God. Look at Mark 4. Mark 4, 39. Mark 4, 39 uh, through 41. Mark 4, 39 through uh, 41. So Mark 4, 39 through 41. Then he arose, this is when there was a great, a great wind on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples thought they were going to be killed, to die. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still! And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. As uh, R.C. Sproul pointed out, talking about the holiness of God, they were more fearful of Jesus than they were of the storm. They understood the storm. They, they had been on the, uh, on the sea before. They understood the storm. They understood the dangers. understood how to, how to try to maneuver the, the vessel so it wouldn't be swamped, and hopefully they would get through it, and so forth. They understood that. They didn't understand Jesus, and they feared exceedingly. Look at Luke 5, verses 3 through 8. This is an interesting passage. Luke 5, verses uh, 3 through 8, we read that Jesus was uh, teaching uh, by the lake of Gennesaret. And um, verse 3 of Luke 5, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and talked to multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the fear of God, which, of course, we see here is the fear of Jesus, because Jesus is God come in the flesh. So a holy awe and reverence. Also, respect for his glory, goodness, and government. Respect for God's glory, goodness, and government. One of our children, one of our memory verses today was Psalm 19, verse 7. I will not have you recite it at this point, uh, but I'm sure you're aware of Psalm 19, verses 7 and following. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. There's that word fear. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired today than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. What is the psalmist here saying? You see, he's not judging God by some external standard. We don't put God in the dock. We don't put him on trial. He tries us, you see. And so there's respect then for his glory, his goodness, and his government because whatever God does is right. Whatever God does is right. It is righteous and it is good. Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments have been manifested. And so there's respect for his glory, goodness, and government. Whatever God does is right. And that's all part of the reverence and the fear of God. But there's also another aspect, and that is fear of offending him. Fear of offending him. He is our father, and he is God. As we know from the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That includes our own ideas. Nothing should come before God or in his place. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, stays away from evil, views it as a, as, as a great poison, as something that is dangerous, stays away from it. We know from what uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In Proverbs 3 and verse 7, Proverbs 3 and verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse or twisted mouth I hate. So if we're going to fear the Lord, there must be a fear of offending him. There must also be a fear of, of incurring his displeasure, of God judging us, God judging us for our sins. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear of incurring his displeasure. There's also, in the fearing of God, a distrust of one's own goodness and sufficiency. You see, we like to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We all do this. I confess this. We all want to do this. And yet Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. 
think we're dressed in such fine clothing, and yet in point of fact, it's got all kinds of stains and dirt and grime. All the, just think, children, of all the yucky things you can think of. And that's how all the so-called good things that we do are viewed by God. A distrust of one's own goodness and sufficiency. That too is here in God. And finally, a necessity of forsaking, of confessing and forsaking sins. Going back to verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So, the fear of God, reverence towards God. What happens when you are reverent? Well, you are happy. Isn't that interesting? You are happy. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 12 and following. So, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. If you're uh, looking in your pew Bible, you'll find this on page 1586, 1586. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with, you see that word there, fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So you see the connection here between fear and happiness. Now you wouldn't think that, would you? You think, oh, if you're—I mean, if you're fearful of something, you're usually not very happy. But when we're fearful of God in the proper sense, when we have reverence towards God, there's happiness, there's blessedness that comes. Why is that the case? First of all, we are designed to have fellowship with God. We are designed to have fellowship with God. And therefore, we need to have this proper relationship with him. We're designed to have fellowship with him, but remember, this is, he's, he's not our buddy. He's God. He's holy. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He is totally other than we are. He condescends to us by means of his covenant, by means of voluntarily revealing himself, but just a bit of who he is because we cannot possibly comprehend him in any, in any way even approaching the fullness of who God is. But we are designed to have fellowship with God. And it's only when we have fellowship with God, it's only when we're in a right relationship with him, including having this holy fear and awe of him, that we can really be happy. There's a God-like vacuum, as Augustine said, in our hearts that only God can fill. Secondly, if we don't have a holy fear, we will have a slavish fear. If we don't have a holy fear, we will have a slavish fear. Okay? So, in other words, it needs to be our fear of God needs to be characterized by love. 1 John 4, verse 8, for he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so there must be, it must be characterized by love, not by dread. And finally, why does this happiness result? Because our hope is found in him, not in ourselves or our righteousness. Our hope is found in him. And as we understand that then, 
as we understand that and get and more and more appreciate that fact, then we will have happiness in our lives. Happy is the man who is always reverent. But, but, as we often find with the Proverbs, there's the opposite, or at least there's the contrast, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the question then is, what is meant by hardness of heart? What is meant by hardness of heart? Look at uh, Psalm 36, verse 1. Psalm 36, verse 1. Just a moment, we'll turn to Psalm 10 as well. But right now, Psalm 36, verse 1. Where David, servant of the Lord, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, An oracle within my heart, a revelation within my heart, concerning the transgression of the wicked, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now turn back to Psalm 10. Psalm 10. And verse 6. We'll look at several verses here. Psalm 10 and verse 6. He has said, the wicked has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. What is it saying? It's someone who's mocking at fear. Who's mocking God, if you will. Look at verses 8 through 11 of Psalm 10. He, that is to say the wicked, sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches. He lies low. The helpless may fall by his strength. He is, what is he doing? He is defying God, is he not? Look at, and, and going on, verse, verse 11, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. By the way, you think that maybe this is describing downtown Atlanta? in terms of the wicked, how much, how much violence do we have in our city? How many people are there that, that lie in wait to catch the poor, that, that create, that try to, to do all kinds of, of wicked deeds, of even murdering people? Is, does this not describe any major city in America today? Notice also not just the defiance of God. Oh, God's not going to pay any attention to this. God doesn't see. He's forgotten. But look at verses 3 and 4. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance, face, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. So there's also a pride. These things characterize hardness of heart. And of course, resisting God's rod of correction as well. When perhaps God wants to get someone's attention and perhaps bring some hardship into that person's life to try to get his attention. The hard heart resists that message. And particularly rejecting then, rejecting the word of God, not desiring to read or meditate upon the word, not wanting to submit to its corrections and reproofs, rebukes. So these are all characteristics of hardness of heart. Notice that the text talks about one who hardens his heart who actually hardens his heart. Now, the Bible sometimes speaks about how God hardens someone's heart, like Pharaoh's heart, and that is a fearful thing indeed. That is an example of God giving a person over to his own sin. But my friends, what we have here is the individual hardening his own heart. That's what's in view here. 
he, he who hardens his own heart, you see, is the one who is going to be subject to calamity. In Psalm 95, in Psalm 95, the psalmist says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my works. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation, said it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways And God then says, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Remember Romans chapter 1? Remember what Paul says in in Romans uh, chapter 1 about the wickedness of man? And um, the the wickedness of man and how they, they, among other things, not only are engaged in false worship, in idolatry, but also verse 24 of Romans 1, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, evil passions, For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature, lesbianism. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, homosexuality. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So we see then, giving the man who hardens his heart, the the connotation here is that of to cause to fall. The man, in a sense, who causes himself to fall. And what does it mean then to fall into mischief or evil? What does it mean to, to fall into these things, into this calamity? Well, this can be temporal, that is to say, in terms of this life. Uh, There are all kinds of examples of that in Scripture. Um, Deuteronomy 17, 12, and 13 would be an example of that. Deuteronomy 17, verses 12 and 13. Another man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. The one who hardens his heart won't listen, you see. We find that also in Deuteronomy 21. Verses 18 and following. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father, the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them. This is a hard heart. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city, They shall say to the elders of a city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and drunkard. Then all the men of a city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now let's be clear. We're not not talking about someone who happens to sass his parents at some point. Okay? I imagine that some of probably all of us would have been in trouble a long time ago if that were the case. But the point here is this is an incorrigible offense. It's a juvenile, it's like a juvenile delinquent who is incorrigible, who will not submit, no matter what you do, will not do it. And there is nothing left to do. That's the point here. But what we see here is that this is a manifestation of a hard heart. 
and there are consequences in ancient Israel for that. But my friends, it is, well, we, we can even see, we can even look at, at other places. Uh, for example, Proverbs, Proverbs 10, verse 27. Proverbs 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Remember? Remember, you know, honor thy father and thy mother, that days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Here, the, the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 19, verse 23. Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil, with calamity. And Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Proverbs 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And yet the opposite, of course, is also true. But it's not simply, let's be clear here, this is not simply a reference to temporal blessing, but there is also a reference here to eternal punishment or the hell, the, the fires of hell forever. Proverbs uh, 14, Proverbs 14, verses 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. There is fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. What did Jesus say in Matthew 10, verse 28? Don't fear him who's able to kill the body. Children, fear him who's able to kill both the body and the soul, to, to kill the body and to cast the soul into hell. You see, the lack of proper fear, let's be clear here, the lack of proper fear of an, of a, of an awe-inspired fear of a reverence, the lack of proper fear will lead to the fear of dread, will lead to the fear of dreading God and wanting to flee from him and knowing that there is no escape. Well, before we apply this text, I want just to pause and ask the question, why are fear and hardness contrasted? They're not technically opposites, are they? But they are related. For fear and reverence, properly, leads to softness of heart, humility. Whereas hardness leads to lack of fear and lack of reverence. That's why these two, although they're not technically opposite, that's why they are contrasted in this verse. So two points of application. The first thing is I want you to notice the word always. Here it says, happy is the man who is always reverent. Always, meaning no matter what the circumstances are. Always, meaning not even in bad times, but in fair weather as well. You see, we come to a point sometimes in our lives where we're just going along swimmingly and everything's going great, right? And it's at times like that that we can forget God. But the proverb here tells us, always, including when things are going so great in everything that we are tempted to forget God and forget to reverence him. Always, not mere foxhole conversions. By the way, children, a foxhole is something that you dig in wartime. And so when we talk about foxhole convert to you know get out of the, the line of fire, so you, you take a shovel, whatever, you dig a foxhole to, to go into so the, the bullets don't hit you. And of course there are many people, many soldiers in times of of uh, those Incidents of being of facing death. That's why we call them foxhole conversions. They're facing death, and yet they 
come to the uh, they, they come to the point then of being converted to Christ. Many of them genuinely, some not. But it's not mere foxhole conversions. It's always whatever the circumstance, and always also refers to the fact that it's throughout eternity. Because just like the angels in heaven who are perfect, who have to cover their eyes and their feet as they as they fly about the glory of God, you see. In a similar way, we will always be in awe of God. We will always fear him. We will always be reverent in eternity. Always. The second point of application is this. What kind of a heart do you have today? What kind of a heart do you have today? Now, it's not as if you can work yourself into a frenzy for God. But it behooves you. It is to your benefit to examine yourself. So what characterizes, what are the characteristics of a soft heart? Conviction of sin. So if you just think you are just so wonderful and God should just accept you as a favor to himself, it's obvious you don't have a clue. Conviction of sin. That God is righteous and we are not. Contrition, contrition for sin. Conviction of sin is necessary, but it's not sufficient. You have to be sorry for that sin, that you've offended God. Conscientiousness, the desire to do whatever God wants you to do, even if it means, as Abraham discovered, sacrificing his own son. Remember that? Remember that, children? Genesis 22, even if it means sacrificing his own son, Abraham got right to the point after having bound his son on the altar because this is what God told him to do. He got right to the point of raising the knife and he was going to thrust it into the chest of his son. And God called out and said, Abraham, Abraham. I've provided another sacrifice for you. And so this is conscientiousness, a desire to do whatever God wants you. Now, God's not going to call upon us to sacrifice our children today. All that we need to know as to how to, behave, how to fear God is found in the word of God. No private revelation. God doesn't speak to us privately today. He speaks to us through his word. But as we read the word, then we must be conscientious in terms of that and be willing to do whatever God reveals to us in his word. So conviction of sin, contrition for sin, conscientiousness, a confession of God's free grace. That is to say, acknowledging one's own sin and the fact that only God can save. Salvation is by faith alone. Salvation is based only on the blood of Jesus. That's the only hope we have. It's on the basis of what he did at the cross that we have a right standing with God. We receive that by faith alone. And so we acknowledge our own sin. We acknowledge that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. God alone can save. That's a soft heart. And finally, consecration to God. A desire for God's glory above all else. In a few moments, we will be singing from Psalm 86, the last part of it. Psalm 86, verse 11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Consecration to God, desire for God's glory above all else, a prayerful approach, and an attitude that is melted by our seeing God's love in Christ. John Calvin, the great reformer 500 years ago, said, my heart I offer to thee, Lord, promptly and sincerely. But my friends, in this regard, 
notice that the Lord Jesus, who provides for our salvation, has deep within himself the fear of the Lord. We read from Isaiah 11 today. Did you catch it? 11, chapter 11, this rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. See, Jesus is truly God, fully God, but he's also the God-man. And as he comes as the God-man, we see that in himself his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And it is that Savior then who understands the fear of the Lord because indeed he is God himself. That he's able to provide for us his righteousness. He's able to provide, he's able by his spirit to create within us a fear of the Lord. Because Jesus bought our salvation at the cross and provided every bit of it for us. And so the Lord Jesus who provides for our salvation embodies this very verse. He has deep within himself the fear of the Lord. And therefore we're able to agree. Happy is the man who is always referenced but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And our Father, we pray that thy spirit would indeed take this message and apply it to each one. We pray, Lord, that we would love thee and serve thee and have a reverent fear of thee and give us therefore the happiness and the blessedness that comes from knowing thee knowing that in thee is found the fountain of life so be pleased to do that keep us from hard hearts stir us up O God keep us from hard hearts give us soft hearts We pray in Jesus' name.